This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. And we welcome you to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret. I'm Eric Lopez. Jeff Sharon is out. He is getting his wisdom teeth taken out. Good luck to that. I've gone through that. Uh, you, you can bounce back quick, but I mean, for that one day you got it. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun day. Well, that is Bryson Turner's voice you just heard. He will be co-hosting with me. Coming up on this show, we have an exclusive interview. Our own Kyle Nash had a chance to catch up with Cole Schneider to talk about pro day last week, and of course, what's next for him as he tries to impress and get into the NFL draft. Uh, and much more. We'll talk, uh, that'll be Kyle Nash with Cole Schneider. That's coming up in a little bit. Women's basketball is a new hire. We'll tell you about that uh, later on in the program, plus much, much more. Of course, you can check us out at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, like us on Facebook. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at Black and Gold Banneret. We have a lot of post-game interviews as well as press conferences. And, of course, where can they follow us, Bryson, on the Black and Gold Banneret? You can follow me at at it's Bryson Turner on Twitter. And of course, you can follow Eric at at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can follow the entire Black and Gold Banneret family at at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. All right. Let's begin, though, with the going around the, in the diamond. And we'll begin with softball because, well, I'm hosting. Uh, and we have significant news here. UCF coming off a two to one win over North Florida on Wednesday night in Jacksonville. To improve to 31 and 10 on the season. That's coming off after winning that dramatic Monday night game against number five, Virginia Tech, uh, in 11 innings, five to four. They will host Memphis this weekend as they get back into conference play. They're three and oh. But there's some big developing story. As of Thursday morning, the latest RPI came out, courtesy of the NCAA, and UCF finds themselves ranked 10th in the RPI. That is the highest ranking that UCF softball has ever been this late in the season in the RPI. Why is that important? That is one of the main metrics that the NCAA softball committee looks at when they pick host sites. And I will give you some trends here, Bryson. Since they started using the RPI in 2008, every team in the selection Sunday that ended up finishing in the top 10 in RPI has gone on to host. That is why that is a significant number. Three teams in the state of Florida, by the way, ranked in the top 10. That has never happened in the history of, uh, since they, again, the RPI was instituted to college softball. There has never been a state that's had three teams in the top 10 in the RPI at any point that we do right now with Florida, Florida State, and UCF all in the top 10. I think that tells you that's a softball state. But that's the significance, Bryson. But none of this is possible, in my opinion, without UCF's dramatic win on Monday night against number five, Virginia Tech, because the Knights had lost the first two games of that series. No hitter by Keeley Richard, the All-American pitcher for Virginia Tech on Sunday, one to nothing win. They win the second game, seven nothing. And you wondered, how would UCF respond after getting hit in the face and I think if they lose the Monday night game, they would have dropped in the RPI. And I think and they would probably still be in the mix, but their chances would have been reduced. But this team come, came back. They fought. It was a back-and-forth seesaw affair. Uh, 
And Shannon Doherty, once again, Bryson, with the dramatics in the bottom of the 11th after Jada Cody got a two-out uh, two single, or uh, one-out single with two strikes, I should say. Shannon Doherty delivers the base hit to right, scoring Jada Cody to give the Knights a 5-4 win over Virginia Tech. You were there. I was calling the game. You were there covering it. What was it like from your vantage point? Uh, this is, this was a long game. <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, um, it was very dramatic before the seventh started with the, with the, with the elite changes that were happening there. But I will say that, uh, I, and I want to ask you this, Eric, do you think, because obviously, you know, uh, Keely Richard and Gianna Mancha started once again, after they started on, on, on the day prior, do you think that the, they were, that they gave up a, f- a few more runs because they were going on their second start in as many days? Uh, yeah, I think both teams made adjustments or both good offenses. I mean, these were top 30 offenses going up against each other. So they made some adjustments, made some pitches, but then, you know, both teams brought, went to the bullpen, came on Woodall was fantastic. Pitched six shutout innings in relief, got the win. Uh, they threw their freshman phenom, Emma Lendley. Lemley, who was fantastic herself, uh, and that's why we played forever over three hours uh, in the game. We did. There wasn't a run scored from the sixth inning on to till the eleventh. Ashley Griffin had a big game, had a two-run homer and a tying RBI double in the bottom of the sixth. Maddie Bejarano uh, hit a solo homer in the second inning, so they got some big hits off this great Hokie pitching staff that was in the top five. But again, Shannon Doherty delivers. She was the they one didn't that, leave the whole game. Like no. the Knights did not leave. Well, they the led in the second. The they led in the second. They led three to two. Uh, three two. That's right. Homer, but Virginia Tech came back, took the lead in the sixth. But Shannon Doherty is the story. She hit the walk-off homer in opening night against Georgia that broke Twitter. She hit the walk-off three-run homer against Ole Miss uh, late February, and now she had the game walk-off RBI double. We had a chance to talk to Shannon Doherty after the game on Monday. That's on the entire interview is on our YouTube channel, Black and Gold Band. Right, make sure you subscribe to that as well as give us a thumbs up, you know, like. But here's what Shannon Doherty had to say about being in the clutch. Uh, it, it means a lot, um, definitely for my confidence. And you know, that was my goal coming into this season was to be consistently dangerous. And uh, I think I said that from the beginning of the season. Is I just want to be consistently dangerous and. You know, I, these moments like this, I, I think I'm built for it. You know, I've just always grown up. I've always been told be bigger than the moment. Uh, keep it simple. And, you know, preparation gives you confidence. And, you know, I work my butt off every day. And I know that when I step in the box, the pitcher didn't outwork me. The other team didn't outwork me. So why can't it be me? That was Shannon Doherty talking to us, uh, me and Bryson, after the game on Monday there. You're impressed with Shannon. I know you were actually working on a feature on her a little bit, but – it's unbelievable the resume that she's built. She's become the walk-off queen of UCF. Oh yes, very much so. I mean, I I talked. Um, if you go and watch that full interview on the Black and Gold Banner YouTube channel, there was a question that I had asked uh, either right before or right after that one that talked about the dynamic between Shannon Doherty and Jada Cody. And I know that that Eric, you told me about this mythical pitching duo of UCF softball past called Shake and Bake. I think Shannon Doherty and Jada Cody might be the shake and bake of offense. I don't know. We have to figure out with a, with a, an appropriate name for them. Yeah, it's up to but, them. I got to figure out what their nicknames are. Of course, you're referring to Mackenzie Otis and Shelby Turnier, the All-American pitching combo from 2015 that led UCF to 50 wins and the conference championship. Uh, that the Two of the greats of the all-time in the sport. 
which is the last time UCF won the American Conference Championship. And that's the next, the mere focus. Let's fo- UCF's 3-0. and Remember, they swept South Florida a couple weeks ago. They go resume back. They host Memphis. You look at UCF's schedule the remainder of the way now after the win against UNF. They host Memphis. They host East Carolina. They're at Houston. Uh, they host Tulsa. Then they finish at Wichita State. Wichita State's the defending champions. The bad news of all that, the only top 50 team of that schedule left is Wichita State. That could decide the conference championship. So UCF's kind of in a spot here, even though they have the high RPI at 10 as of Thursday morning. You know, they are going to have to avoid uh, some bumps on the road here. They're almost going to have to be perfect. And that's kind of the unfairness of the system. You know, teams in the SEC and the ACC can go one and two every week and get, you know, get rewarded for it. Uh, but so that's going to be interesting to see how they come out in conference play. Because that is their, you got to win the conference. And this team is capable of doing that. And I think Wichita State is the team that's standing in their way. Wichita State, by the way will be in Tampa this weekend against South Florida in a huge, huge series. Now, let me give you some stats about UCF's resume as of right now, Bryson. UCF, as I mentioned, 10th in the RPI as of Thursday. Their overall schedule strength is the 14th strongest, the 14th toughest schedule in the country, 10th toughest non-conference schedule in the country. That's a yo. Uh, The committee's going to love that. UCF has 11 wins against the top 50 in the RPI. You know how many teams have more wins than UCF in the top 50? I'm going to say it's a number less than three. It's a, it's your, here's the list. UCLA, 17 wins. Florida, 13 wins. Alabama, 16 wins. Uh, have wins. And then Arkansas. 12 wins. That's okay, it. I'm close. You're close. Four. That's the list. There's a few other teams that have 11 wins, Virginia Tech being one of them. But you get my drift. UCF has played an incredible schedule. Four wins against the top 25. Obviously, Virginia Tech is the signature win. I believe this Monday night win against Virginia Tech, if, big if, if UCF ends up hosting that walk-off hit, Bryson, by Shannon Dort against Virginia Tech, even though it wasn't a walk-off homer, Will, could end up being the most significant hit of the season uh, as far as the home hosting there. I don't know if they, you know, they would have dug themselves a bit of a hole. They would have been, they would have had to play catch up from a hosting standpoint. Nothing's guaranteed, as we know with committees, but UCF is a legitimate contender right now to host for the first time in program history. And if they did that, Bryson, with respect to women's soccer, men's soccer, and volleyball, it would be the most significant, biggest NCAA postseason event ever held at UCF campus. Oh yeah, I would completely agree with that. I just have one question though, because you talked, you you started this segment talking about how there were three Florida teams mm-hmm. in the top ten of RPI, and we know about the committee's, you know, I guess tendencies of not scheduling regionals too close to each other, and since and since. Florida is obviously one of those teams that is way, way up there and the, pro- the close proximity of Gainesville and Orlando are, can you met to talk about, talk about how, you know, could UCF's chances of hosting end up taking a hit if either they fall too low on RPI or even if they're still top 10 
in RPI well, at the end of the season. Like, Florida's still there. Florida's number nine on Thursday's RPI. The advantage they're going to have is they're going to have more and more key games moving forward. In fact, they have Alabama this weekend. Florida State is five. They will host Virginia Tech this weekend. Monster weekend uh, for both of those teams. Look, for, there have been if you're in that 12 to 16 range, you're not a guaranteed to host. UCF is number 10. UCF was 15 in the final RPI selection Sunday in 2015. They were not selected to host. To me, if you're UCF and you want to feel comfortable about hosting, you've got to stay in the 10-11 range. And then, you know, hopefully you don't get host. I mean, you would get host. That would be a, that would be the best RPI team ever not to host. That would be controversial. Uh, but you're right. If they don't host, they'll likely go to Florida. I don't see now, you know, if Florida were to fall apart, that would help UCF because then maybe UCF becomes that second team in the state of Florida. I believe all three teams in the state of Florida should host. They should be on merit. It should be what you do on the field. And the guy that usually hosts this show claims to me that the reason that, you know, football is not legit is because all the other sports are decided on the field. I disagree with that. And this is an example. Hosting is a massive, massive uh importance uh in this deal to host it just does you're you're being it's in baseball and softball man it going on the road and we saw what happened with women's basketball at uconn things weird stuff happens you don't get the benefit of the calls it just is what it is so we'll see what happens but they got to take care of business in the next month and that starts with conference play they got to take care of conference if they don't take care of conference this is all a moot point and they'll be traveling on the road but Still, a heck of a year for this team right now as they're developing uh, this year. And I will say this, uh, even though they didn't win, game one against Virginia Tech was still an absolute huge Magnificent game. game. The fact that there was only one run scored the entire game. Like, we talk about Keith Richard getting the no-hitter. Gianna Mancha only had two. Two hits I mean, and one unearned run that was in the first inning because of two UCF errors. Otherwise, they might still be pitching. It was a fantastic pitching performance. It was a great series. Virginia Tech is legit. I think Virginia Tech's going to end up in Oklahoma City. That's how good I think they are. Uh, and UCF and Virginia Tech, you had two of the three games. It was a one-run difference. with what It took a no-hitter from an All-American ACC pitcher of the year, Keely Richard, to beat UCF. And then an 11-inning classic on Monday night. And then, you know, the other game, 7 to nothing. It was a one nothing game going into the fifth, and then Virginia Tech started to pull away. Credit to them. They're a great team. They deserve to win that series. But UCF, I think, will benefit from playing that series because they went through some adversity, Bryson. And teams have to go through some adversity like that. They struggled. They fought. And I think that'll benefit them here moving forward. Better to have that test now than have it in May. So, uh, I was a fantastic series. It was a pleasure to call it. And uh, we'll see now. They beat a good, scrappy North Florida team in Jacksonville. Mancho was fantastic in that game on Wednesday night. And now they focus strictly on conference. Memphis comes in this weekend. Can't take them lightly. Uh, we'll see what happens this weekend. UCF, it's alumni weekend, by the way. Natalie Lane, who the newly inducted UCF Hall of Famer, will be thrown out the first pitch. The series will be on ESPN+. Francesca Anea. Will, call, will join me for the broadcast of that series of UCF let's softball. So let's also not for uh, not forget with conference. Let's go. Let's make sure that we're on Jada Cody RBI watch because she is she's getting cl- close. She's we at fifty three. Yeah, fifty three. Thirteen away weekend. from Stephanie Bast, who will be in attendance as well. So those are some of the softball storylines. We'll keep track for you 
on black and gold bannerette let's move over to baseball they're not gonna host uh but they got off to a great start in conference weekend last weekend sweeping south florida after the usf baseball coach was talking trash on social media calling them you know the Oviedo, whatever being you know whatever UCF baseball took care of business. I know they've lost a game where they coughed up against FAU in the midweek, but really it doesn't matter, Bryson, because right now it's about the conference because the American is wide open right now. It's a down year in the league, but it's it's wide open, and UCF got off to a significant start beating one of the contenders, the defending American Conference Tournament champions, Bulls, in a big rivalry. Good start for this baseball team to go 3-0 and in conference as they now head towards Memphis, uh, this weekend, but Coach Greg Lovelady was fired up a- after that series sweep, wasn't he? Oh, yes, he very much was. I mean, and I can't blame him. Like, this was very much a a very cathartic emotional whiplash going from two straight one and two series against UNC Greensboro and Samford to then going against your the, going into the war on I-4, your first conference conference series, and you end up getting the sweep absolutely absolutely well done you didn't even have hunter pattison either which is the other pretty pretty amazing part about this series they lost they didn't have one of their pitchers so absolutely well done i think that the the games one and two were the classic ucf win strategy of just the pitchers really did it you had obviously you have connor stain who i think is in serious contention for the be for being a conference MVP pitcher of the year, that sort of thing, because once because now that he's be, really back from ha, from undergoing back spasms, absolutely killed it. Kyle Kramer and Chase Santala also did well in relief, not allowing a single hit. It was a one hitter. Do you know the last time that this team had a one hitter, Eric? I don't. It was in April 2018 against, amazingly enough, the USF Bulls. Wow, there you so, go. The, and, and what's better, you want you want to see the UCF one hit the Bulls. Do you want to see him do it again? The net do it again. So on Sunday, because unfortunately there was rain in the forecast on Saturday, and the game ended up getting pushed to Sunday. So in the first game of the doubleheader on Sunday, the team one hit used one hit the Bulls again. For no no one hitters at all from 2018 to 2022 and then they get two in the span of a weekend i so in that one you had william saxton ben vespi and chase santala teaming up for teaming up for that very absolutely well done showing that showing there however once again that very much a pitching very much a pitching performance it was a four nothing game but this but the game three oh man game three so this was the this was the time where UCF's offense needed to step up because and in the in the second inning USF managed to jump out to a four to a four nothing lead. So this is where the UCF offense, which has been having some issues this season, needed to step up, and they did. Andrew right in the fifth inning, Andrew Sundin home run, Jeffrey Pena RBI single, and um, also in the fifth inning, Ben McCabe single to right single RBI single, two RBI single with the fastest exit velocity of the season. And then you have Lex Bodeker on a fielder's choice. There was a very cool play with Bodeker actually because he actually managed to reach first reach first base 
that if the if the out had been completed, the inning would have been over and the, and the rally would have been nullified. So absolutely well done on, on that part. And then, of course, the insurance runs in the eighth inning to cap it all off. Absolutely well done. Well done by the offense there. I think that this team has been revitalized now. Lex Bodeker has been on a hot streak. Ben McCabe has moved from DH. He's now playing first base again. And guess what? He's actually hitting now. I have, I, I have to wonder if maybe just being at first base and being in the game more really helped them at the plate. So that ended up going very, going very well as well. Noah Orlando has moved out to right field a little bit. So that's been great. And Andrew Sundin, true freshman catcher. He caught the whole weekend and I, I can't, uh, it's amazing how well he's been hitting. We talked to him after the game. You can watch the full interview on the Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel. But this this true freshman catcher has really seized the opportunity and has not let it go. He had a multi-hit game in every game in this series. So in an offense that really needed some production, needs some production, Sundin has been absolutely reliable this entire game, this entire series. Now, FAU does worry me a little bit because obviously going because while maybe it's not doesn't matter in the terms of conference, it does matter because they were on the road, Eric, and I'm and they have to go on the road in order to win in conference. And if you can't, so I, yeah, hope, but that's I, a midweek, and it's not gonna look. I mean, unfortunately, this team's probably not gonna make it as an at large. I just think there's too many holes yeah. in the resume. So really the focus from here on out is conference. That's the way to get yourself into the NCAA tournament, get yourself a ring. And nobody knows that more than Greg Lovelady. In fact, let's hear from Greg Lovelady following the USF sweep and his thoughts. I'm jacked up. I'm happy. Man, we, we talked a lot this week just about learning from the past, but understanding that, that it's all in the past and that we got to go move forward and we, and we got to learn. And But we prepared. We've gone through some some lows and some highs and, and, and a roller coaster, but we're prepared and, and just worry about now. Worry about today. Worry about going forward. Worry about the conference. Don't worry about what we did before. Don't worry about those weekends that we felt like we underperformed. Like, can't change it. So just just worry about now. Worry about going out there and proving everybody, um, you know, that we're, we're starting to figure things out. So I'm just proud of them for continuing to play. And again, I thought this weekend we did a great job of kind of moving on um, and forgetting about the past and just worrying about the present. All right, that was Greg Lovelady following the sweep over South Florida. All right, Bryce, so let's let's kind of look ahead here to Memphis because this is big. On the road, like you mentioned, got to win on the road. Memphis, uh, their coach is in his final year uh, of, as the head coach at Memphis. A uh, couple things. What do you what where do what do we should look for in this weekend at Memphis? And do we have an update on the status of a Hunter Patterson? All right. Well, from what Greg Lovelady said, we might get. Um, remember how we had Connor Stain in the in the series before this one start start like a limited start with a with a very limited pitch count, like two innings. So, from what Lovelady has been telling me, um, we might see Hunter do that. We don't know because early because the week before that he said Hunter wouldn't pitch at all against Memphis. So. We're not so I think it's really a play it by ear situation where if Hunter feels good, then they might give him a start with a pitch count, pitch count perhaps on Sunday. But who's to who's to say the, um, right now, the situation is very, uh, very touch and go. It really depends on how Hunter's feeling. But I think but I think it's something we should at least keep an eye on another injury that we probably should keep an eye on actually for conference is USF's Jack Josiah. He is their ace pitcher, has the second lowest ERA in the conference. He didn't pitch 
in the USF in the series against UCF because he had an injury. And it sounds like from what I heard on Twitter from one of the USF radio people, he would be out for a while. So it, it'll be interesting to see once UCF can stack up against against him. But I think but as far as conference goes, Memphis, I, I'm looking at the conference rankings. Memphis ranks pretty low in conference over the various statistical categories. So I think Memphis is a very good first road opponent for UC for UCF. Um, I just worry a little bit because they're on the road, but well, we'll it's see. not easy to get to Memphis. It's not direct. Memphis has given UCF fits last year. You covered that series last year when Memphis just, uh, and they don't have Hunter Goodman though. They don't have Hunter Goodman. That's though. very good news. That is very good news uh, for baseball, but just keep winning series and you're going to get a shot to win uh, the regular season. So that's the update on baseball. Check out Bryson's recap of the USF series right now on black and I have my recap of the Virginia tech series, which a, with as well as a breakdown of UCF's possibilities of hosting. That's all on black and Now coming up, on Black and Gold Benaret. Our own Kyle Nash this week had a chance to sit down with Cole Schneider, who participated in Pro Day. We'll, they'll talk about that, his time at UCF, and what's ahead for him. Now, before we get to that interview, a couple quick football notes. Uh, there, on Monday was came out that head football coach Gus Malzahn was involved in a car accident up in Auburn. According to Brett McMurphy, uh, who tweeted out that UCF coach Gus Malzahn was involved in an automobile accident Monday night in Auburn. Malzahn, Malzahn was in Auburn to be with his wife, Christy, as they assisted Christy's mother after the passing of Christy's father. Gus, who was the driver, was not injured in the accident. That is according to Brent McMurphy. Gus Malzahn was at practice. In fact, as of Thursday, he was at practice. However, as of Thursday morning, he has not, not spoken to the media uh, locally about that but we're hope uh, glad everybody's okay in that situation and uh, the best to everybody involved in that all right when we come back kyle nash talks to cole schneider about what's ahead for him after pro day and and of course the ucf career you're listening to the black and gold banneret Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Black and Gold Banneret. I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game, here with a little bit of extra credit for you here on this week's edition of the podcast. Um, an excellent treat here with me. Uh, you spent a good amount of time. It uh, uh, was a redshirt freshman at one point, so there's at least that five years. Super senior status achieved. Um, but, yeah, I spent a number of time here playing for the UCF Nice Football Squad, and of course, hanging out in the trenches doing battle with uh, defensive linemen and linebackers alike. So another one of my own ilk playing as uh, as the beef. I can't see. I got to stop calling him the beef because Jordan Johnson was there as a vegan. I don't know. Anyways, we talked to Jordan last time, but now we're talking to a gentleman who played alongside of him, literally next to him on the offensive line. Of course, I'm referring to the freshly graduated Cole Schneider. What's going on, Cole? Nothing much. Good. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, hey, man. Thanks for coming aboard. I know that this is a busy part of uh, the, the year for, for any uh, prospect in your position. I, we kind of talked about your schedule being, you know, uh, a, a lot different than usual. So I appreciate you taking the time out and coming aboard, man. So thanks a ton. Um, no problem. Happy to be here. So let's get right into it. You, you, you came in. I mean, 2017, you, you worked a little bit with the program, but 2018 was when you really 
started to um, turn, uh, you know, come right out the gate, started a bunch of games, played really big. Um, you were a big part of the Hypel era, and then you played uh, some with Gus Malzahn. Um, just from your standpoint, kind of walk us through, you know, your, 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 your program with both coaches and how do you, how you think they were different? Compare them a little bit, if you would. Oh yeah, no doubt. Um, my first year coming in with Frost, you know, those guys had a lot of a huge impact on me coming to UCF. Um, no, like without a question, there was a family atmosphere, whether it was recruiting or it was there on campus. Mm-hmm. But um, like you said, it was mostly a scout team for me my freshman year, but probably one of the best years of my life, you know, learning a lot of different things, you know, becoming a man, becoming a great teammate. And um, <clears throat> I think the biggest thing that they would always harp on was family. So that's why I say it's such a family atmosphere from the equipment managers all the way up to the head coach. You know, I think everyone was on the same level, on the same path, and, you know, was excited to come into work every day. <clears throat> and I would say with yeah, – yeah. Oh, go ahead. I thought you. I, th- I thought you. Were done. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then with um with hypo, you know, I was kind of used to you know coaching changes throughout high school. You know, had three different high school coaches, so um I was used to change. Um those guys came in, you know, picked up like we never skipped a beat. You know, spreading the spring ball, and you know the next three years with those guys were absolutely incredible. Learned a lot and uh, had a great time with them too. Yeah, man, and you mentioned family. I, I, I someone I got to give a special shouts out to. Like your mom is on Twitter constantly giving you props too. So we got to give shouts out to <laughs> yeah. mom for for all the social media love. And and I'll put it this way: that's the most I've ever probably seen you smile with your gear on because you're usually in the game doing battle. So definitely got to throw sh- shouts out to her as well. Um, but but you mentioned having three three uh, different coaches in high school I didn't necessarily know about that so like did that kind of prepare you you mentioned it kind of prepared you for change what is a rule that you would give people out there who are you know in any situation you know with their team and they're dealing with the change in the coach what do you think is most important um in trying to transition uh in a situation like that especially where it's going to come often like that yeah I mean especially you know when you're you're leading up you want to to go towards the business side of it, you know, in the professional league, mm. you have to be able to adapt to change. You know, that's one of the biggest things that I think it comes with success is, you know, you can't be able to cry or whine about change. You know, it's not fair. This is not the third. I think the thing you have to do is, you know, you got to be mature. You got to understand the mindset of the coaches and the coaching staff that's coming in, you know, what are they bringing to the playbook and just be a sponge and soak it all in, you know. That's, that's like one of the biggest things you got to harp on when it comes to change is, you know, being able to, make it as fast as possible, you know, so you'll be able to start working on things instead of, you know, taking so long to, you know, learn and, it's, you know, just be able to soak up all the knowledge. you got to be able to adapt fast and work fast. So, yeah, you got to be a sponge, I guess, and get whatever <clears throat> that, 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 uh, that, that extra data that's coming in. Because you, you, you mentioned the atmosphere yeah. of having to change different things. It's not necessarily all on the field there. Like a lot of that, I would think, is in the meeting rooms as well. Oh, yeah, of course. You know, it's there's different coaching styles, you know, um, whether it's in the meeting rooms or on the field. You know, you have to be able to adapt not only to the playbook, but, you know, to personalities, to coaching styles. So whether it's, you know, um, depending on what the coach you have, depending if it's more, you know, is it more mental, is it more physical, you know, what kind of approach do they have. So you have to be able to kind of understand those things and, you know, bring it to your approach every single day. 
you know, over the time you were there, UCF as a football program had a lot of milestones, had a lot of uh, growth and in, 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 in accomplishment overall there, too. So this is this is a question that gets asked of, of, of a lot of college athletes, but I think is unique to guys in your uh, space and time uh, at UCF just because there was a lot that went on. You know, the, the, the national championship, the multiple mm-hmm. NY6 Bulls, the movement into – conference play in the power five and i could probably think of other things but that's just what's off the top of my head here and i don't want this question to be longer than, than your answer <laughs> so in your mind um you know is there a particular accomplishment that you or the team had and it doesn't even necessarily be anything on the field per se but like what what do you think is the best the the kind of the best accomplishing moment that took place at ucf while you were uh, uh on the team yeah no doubt um i uh it's funny you said that. Um, I was actually talking about this not too long ago. Um, you know, it, it was more so an accomplishment for, you know, it was my first year uh, scout team. I remember, you know, I never really played scout team before, so really didn't have a grasp for, you know, the speed, tempo, and, you know, how things were supposed to operate. And I remember it was uh, week two. And uh, at the time, Coach Dawson, the D-line coach, was telling all of uh, the scout team offensive line guys, you know, because we were switching around. You know, I was playing tackle, like, you know, we were just kind of giving looks and stuff, not really to where that was up to par, but he ended up chewing us out after one of the practices saying that, you know, we're the worst uh, offensive line scout team he's ever seen, yada, 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 this, this, that, and the third. So something we took to heart for sure. So no doubt that next following week, that's when we started to crank it up. I remember by, uh, I think it was game, I want to say six, you know, after practice, he's telling us to tone it down. We're going to get guys off the crowd, you know, really take care of the defense, you know, because we, we took it we took it to heart. I took it to heart, like, most importantly. And it's not like, you know, any type of um, accolades or anything that came with that. But, you know, it was to the point where he was telling us to back off and relax. You know, we weren't going, you know, doing anything too crazy. But we were really definitely putting the hurt on the guys for sure and giving them great looks. And, you know, I definitely think it panned out well. You know, there's a lot to be said for for having a great practice situation. I, I, I'm some, uh, yeah, I, I myself had to play, you know, uh, against the best player on the team and practice every snap, and that made me better. Is that concept? But I, I like the concept you're throwing out there, where he's like, "You guys were, you know, you're you're the worst O line," yeah, is what yeah, you yeah. said, and all of a sudden he's like, "Well, hey." I can't imagine. I can't imagine how big that was. I mean, that that had to have been yeah. a, a huge confidence builder. You know, I mean, you started how many games? You basically started all, but I think one game in 2018. Would you think that was kind of a a, a diving point for that to take place? Yeah, I, I think that definitely. You know, um, that definitely was a huge you know pivotal moment for me, um, especially when it comes to you know the men, the mindset in football, because I kind of built up a little bit of a mentality, but I think it was you know, more carried over from wrestling. So I think that first year was really a defining moment for me and, you know, how I was going to, you know, take on my career and how I was going to carry on, you know, show, like portray myself on film. You know, you meant, you mentioned your wrestling background. I, I, I'm, I might be asking this part a little bit out of order, but is, is that where I heard you say at the, uh, at the press conference after pro day that if, if for whatever reason you don't crack into football, that you would put combat sport in play. I mean, your wrestling background had to certainly be part of that uh, impulse. Yeah. 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 No doubt. And um, it's definitely one of the ones in my back pocket for sure. Um, I wouldn't say it's definitely plan B as of right now, but it's definitely, plan C or maybe even plan D for sure. Um, you know, it's, it's something I've always been interested by, 
you know, since I was a young kid, just kind of like the physical aspect of things. Um, and I know for me playing sports growing up, I had a lot of fun playing, you know, soccer, basketball, t-ball, all those different things. But I think once I started playing football and wrestling is where I really kind of found myself, you know, just in the contact sports. And also it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could, <laughs> I could see. Fun, fun is relative, but you know, a guy like you that enjoys yeah, right. contact in sport, you know, I, I totally get that aspect of it, and and you know that that whole wrestling background. Like, I'm pretty sure I outweigh you, but I know you're going to take me because your technique is so excellent, and that kind of translates <laughs> into that, you know, wrestling piece. But I say that to say um, that so a, a game in particular, I thought. Um, at least within that season, if not in, in your career on the whole, was the Gasparilla Bowl um, where you guys came out and there was just a lot of punching in the mouth. And, and they call it an ugly game. I prefer to call it a hard-fought game because you guys yeah. in the trenches were doing, you know, a whole lot of stuff. And you you not only were you blocking strong, but there was a lot of kicks and a lot of movement for you to go out and find guys to block. Um, a lot, of, I would argue, a, a couple second-level openings uh happened by way of what you were doing with your technique and the, all that sort of thing. But rather than do a, a, a draft analysis of you, let me ask you more about the Gasparilla Bowl itself, arguably the a great way for uh, 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 to go out uh, as a senior, I'm sure. But the whole best in the state thing, like, does that matter in your eyes uh, for, for the program over and uh, uh, beyond just bragging rights for UCF? Yeah, I mean, I think it's super important, you know, like, you know, with the fan base, you know, it's super important to me, it's super important to the team. So, you know, anything we can do, any type of, you know, level up in Florida, be the main guys in Florida. I know there's been a lot of banter back and forth between us and UF in the past recent couple of years before, you know, making a home-and-home home games. You know, there's been a lot of, you know, fighting over it. And to be a part of, uh, to be a part of uh, the team that was able to, you know, kind of, set the tone and be the best named the best in the state um before we knew we got to play them in a regular Caesar game was awesome you know I think like you said it was a hard-fought game I think that's probably one of the most you know that made it way better than you know if it was a blowout if we were to blow them out I think it being a hard-fought game definitely made it mean a lot more to me I feel like it means like a lot more to the team too as well just because it was a hard-fought game it wasn't a blowout you know, it was entertaining. You know, the atmosphere there was unreal. So I think, you know, that, for that to be able to cap it off my season, my career here, I think it was just amazing. Yeah, no, and I remember I was I was down on the field for the last part of the game too. It was an electric atmosphere. About that, you're absolutely uh, correct on that. And and you know, you said something. You said something kind of in the same ilk um, of of being excited to play against the Gators. Um, around that time, you were the first one to point out, I think it was you and Sam Jack that kind of uh, alluded to the fact that um, this, until that bowl game was announced, you guys had basically accepted the fact that you were never going to play the Gators in your tender. And then lo and behold, whoop, that bowl game was, uh, was uh, assigned. I mean, that had to have been an exciting element. Yeah, of course. And uh, like I said earlier, like, you know, there's all the, the, the debating and all the trying to figure out when we were going to play them. And at that point, kind of knew that, you know, I was going to be a part of the team that played in a regular season game. But, you know, knowing that, you know, having that feeling of, I don't know, edges coming up was kind of invigorating. And it was just awesome for it to actually be them to pop up. 
to the bowl game and just to send it off for us. But yeah, all the guys were super excited about it. You know, and and and, and there's there's a, a there's you know obviously like you mentioned a great way to walk off your your football career um, at UCF was that Gasparilla Bowl game. But during your time here. Um, I'm sure there are a few individuals that had a very big influence on you. Um, is there anybody you would shout out as that the most? I think I know what your answer is going to be. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about this. Yeah, who, who would you say was kind of a bigger influence uh, on the team uh, throughout your time and playing there? Um, well, like we were talking about um, after Pro Day, uh, just coming in, I think one of the biggest, one of the biggest, you know, kind of mentors that kind of, you know, pulled me aside, me and Sam aside was uh, Aaron Evans, you know, kind of took us under his wing. You know, I kind of liked his mindset and the way he thought about football and, you know, the way he cared carried himself. And I think I wanted to model myself, you know, take some of his game, take some of his approach and kind of put it towards my game. Um, and that's what I did. And, you know, it kind of helped me shape to be who I am today. And another guy would also be uh, Wyatt Miller, you know, just supreme type leader type guy, you know, very vocal, you know, knows what to say, when to say it. Um, has a lot of people's respect and whenever he does speak, um, you know, and when he talks, people listen. So those are two, two main guys for me, my freshman year coming in and then, you know, being able to play with a guy like Jordan Johnson, you know, consistently, you know, go from a guy that I live up to, to a guy that I look beside to when we're playing next to each other, which was absolutely awesome. Especially also knowing that, um, we could have wrestled each other in high school too. So yeah, it was just loaded, lo- loaded with great guys and, guys who brought me along the way and um, guys to definitely respect and thank a lot. So I have some other questions about Aaron and Wyatt, but I got to go to JJ first, like him accepting a coaching position with Cincinnati. Like I'm sure you're excited Mm -hmm. for him, but like there's going to be a little smack talk there, right? Yeah, of course. No doubt. And it's a a wonderful uh, opportunity for him, you know, in his journey, you know, he's been doing a lot of great things for a lot of people, you know, him and he's starting up his motivational channel on YouTube, which you should go check it out. And uh, yeah, he, he has nothing but great things to say. And um, you know, just nothing. It's just full of passion. The guy is full of passion. He wants to help people. He wants to lead people in the right direction. You know, it's awesome. But at the same time, it's like Cincinnati. Come on, you know. <laughs> but no, yeah, nothing, nothing, nothing but uh, nothing but blessings for that guy. He's He's absolutely amazing. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I'm sure they're they're due to play here uh, in Orlando this year. If if you 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 are around, I'm, I'm sure you're going to make it across to that sideline. Um, oh yeah, <laughs> albeit with you know certainly a smirk or two. But but I think we talked about this before during during the podcast with him. He definitely made a, made it a point to let his 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 youth know that back in the day it was a it was a tough trip for them on um on uh, ESPN uh, game day when they came into yeah. town. Oh yeah, no doubt. <laughs> so no uh, doubt. So uh, with that in mind, uh, you know, you had mentioned Wyatt Miller and, and Aaron Evans. Uh, uh, for those that know, though, those are two very different personalities. Like I could almost see mm-hmm. Wyatt Miller playing offensive tackle, wearing a suit and tie, whereas Aaron, it, I call him like an upside duck on a pond. Like if you look underwater when a duck's paddling, his feet are going crazy, but he's calm on the surface. But I feel like Aaron kind of plays showing you that his feet are wagging. And, and, you know, that's, that's one of the first conversations I had with him when I interviewed him. Like, I mean, is is it kind of those, those different styles that you put together to make Cole Schneider, the guard? 
Yeah, I mean, I like to say I took, you know, I, I brought some of that myself. You know, I already had some of that, but they, those guys definitely brought, you know, specific traits out. I could definitely tell with Aaron, you know, his wackiness, but also philosophical. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, his, he just thinks differently, and he, um, he acts the way he wants to and the way he feels, and, like, he's not ashamed of that. And the same thing with Wyatt, you know, very confident guy, very vocal guy. You know, he can – same thing with him as in, like, you know, he acts as himself. He doesn't want to please anybody. He just – He's, that's who he is, and I think that's why I respect both of them. Cool, man. Yeah, that, that's, that, no, that makes a lot of sense um, as far as that. And, I mean, you know, in your time here, you got a lot done, um, you know, uh, as a group for the program. So that certainly, you know, it, apparently you pick some decent role models. I mean, those are guys at some point that were on NFL rosters uh, eventually. So, you know, who, who can blame you for picking up a few things from those guys for sure? Um, mm-hmm. You know, let, let's uh, – Let's go ahead and make this – let me ask you a couple more questions here about you for kind of your uh, aspirations here. I know you had mentioned um, Thursday um, you're going to have a look with uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks, if I remember correctly. Um, what kind of preparation have you been going into, you know, for Pro Day, for um, workouts uh, like uh, Thursday with Tampa? What, what's different than that than your normal uh, football regimen? Um, uh, so I headed down to, you know, Deerfield Beach, got to train with Mike Barwis, um, and at his facility, it's absolutely amazing. The guy, he's, he's a miracle worker, you know, uh, had a few, you know, bumps and bruises coming out of the season that, you know, we attacked right away, um, got healthy, then went right after and started training. It was, you know, things that I've never really done before, you know, movements I've never, I'm not aware of, aware of beforehand, but. Yeah, this guy's gotten me stronger in ways that I couldn't even imagine. You know, more more mobility, flexibility. I move better. I feel better when I do it. So I think that's where I took a lot more initiative on um, focusing on things that I haven't focused on in the past um, and just different ways to do it. And then leading up to pro day, you know, the, 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 I follow the regimen leading up to it, you know, taking care of my body, easing up towards pro day. Um, and it worked out perfect. It worked out how I imagined. Yeah, which is, I mean, you seem to be hitting the bag just a bit different during pro day, um, in a good way, of course. Or maybe that was just mm-hmm. me being distracted by the super awesome mustache that you've grown. <laughs> I, I, I've got to ask. I got to ask this: Have you gotten any texts from Titan Jake Escock? Because I do realize he had the wider <laughs> mustache, and that was the that was all the range for at least one of those seasons, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I had it, and um, I actually had it earlier in the season as well. But mm-hmm. sporting the, the the mohawk with it, so the guy seemed to like it back then, and um, it slowly kind of faded away. But I felt necessary to bring it back just for the competitive nature. I mean, l- listen, I, I, in a good way, you do have kind of a handsome baby face without it, and I pictured in my head, <laughs> you know, kind of lining across from from you know, uh, 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 facial hair free Cole versus uh uh mustache cole and i gotta tell you in my yeah. mind mustache cole is just a bit more intimidating i'm just gonna throw that out there. yeah <laughs> i hear you it gives you gives you the uh the concerned dad feel huh oh wow that yeah. made it even scarier <laughs> i don't even think of that <laughs> yeah right yeah get ready for the finger pointing yeah oh boy just listen i'm glad you don't know my middle name then i know i'd be in real trouble uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's good man so um uh, other than Tampa, is there anything on the list uh, that that you're looking to target here coming up? Or 
Um, I was really just, you know, going to keep training, keep my phone open, ready for any workouts to hit my phone. If not, that's fine. I'm just going to keep my body uh, up to date and, and just keep taking care of myself and, you know, wait for the day. No, I can't front on that. Uh, uh, that makes a lot of sense there, too. Um, so, you know, you mentioned pro, we, or we were talking about pro day earlier. Um, for those that didn't notice, during some of your position drills, out came the ball for you to do some drills for that, too. Obviously, for um, mm-hmm. you know, for you to demonstrate your skills and movement, you know, with the ball for playing center and all that sort of stuff, which you did an ex- excellent job filling in for Matt Lee uh, during the season. Um, when when he needed uh, when he needed to uh, uh, sit to recover from injury or take a breather or whatever it was, um, in your mind, how important is the aspect of, of of having utility to play those three different spots on the interior line? Um, help your prospect, uh, help you as a prospect. I think yeah, I think it is a lot. You know, um, it's, it's just being kind of short in depth there. You know, for the last couple of years. I've always kind of, you know, saw firsthand being that guy who can fill in that role, you know, whether it's, you know, spring ball, fall camp, just throughout the season if someone's getting some bumps and bruises, just being able to, you know, have, just have confidence and trust that you can call on your guy to be like, hey, can hop over there, we need you there. Like, no problem, no problems here, no bad snaps, no none of this. Just having that complete, utter, utter confidence that, that the guy can play there, can do it well and can succeed there in three different spots, you know, I think um, it definitely takes away some stress for coaches um, and gives you a lot less things to worry about. And, you know, mentioned, you mentioned being a leadership, uh, being a leader and that sort of veteran um, stuff too. You know, there's, an, there's another guy who's been taking snaps in center at, at spring camp now um, with your departure um, that may not have been this time uh, before. And, of course, that's Sam Jackson in practice. You got any mm-hmm. advice for him? Uh, in preparation to to uh, be a, a bit of a utility guy um, now in the coming season for UCF. Yeah, I mean, I think he, he's he's definitely been you know a big part of uh, our utility belt, and you know he's playing you know all four positions before he's finally playing the fifth one that he hasn't played yet. So I think um, you know at center is a little bit different just because the ball is involved, but you know I I trust and I have faith in him. You know, whenever we need him and call upon him, he's going to be ready, and he's going to you know he's going to perform well. So I think, you know, he's, as long as he gets his snapping down, he's, he's going to be A-OK. So we, we mentioned all the changes and stuff that, that have come over uh, your time at UCF. I mean, you know, I'm only going to keep you here for about 30 minutes, but I, if I had the full hour, I could fill that up with questions and we could have yeah. a conversation <laughs> with that for sure. But um, in your mind, um, the – I, I guess I'll ask this first. In your mind, during your time there, if there was a particular moment or time that was a biggest challenge, what would you say that that was? The biggest challenge. Um, I remember it was going into um, spring, my first spring ball. So I completed, you know, um, the, my first fall camp, my first season on scout team. Leading into it, it was 2018, going into the spring ball. Um, this is where they kind of were pushing for me to play center and they wanted, uh, they were talking about JJ bumping over to guard. Um, but my snaps were definitely something that I had to work on. So I know, you know, it was, it was very hard because in your head, you, you want to throw it back there. You want to get it right. It's, it's, it's a bit of a mental game, you know, when it comes with lack of experience and really having to, you know, be able to hone in and focus. So um, for me, 
it was a thing where I took, you know, I took it very personal to get my snaps up because I was tired of meetings, you know, being called out for snaps and this is on third. And I wanted to end that. Um, so taking it upon myself, uh, me and um, me and my uh, coach, Micah, who was with us at the time, uh, would go out there and snap, you know, 100 snaps in the morning, 100 snaps in the afternoon, um, every day throughout the week until I got my snaps right. And finally doing so um, and getting to the spring game, I was starting center with JJ as starting guard, you know, and it was, it was I think it was, that was definitely a pivotal moment for me knowing the comfortability of playing center. Um, because after that, we went through summer and finally got it back to where I was at guard and center was, uh, JJ was back at center. But I think for me, that was definitely stressful, knowing that uh, I had the team's, the responsibility of the team on my back, just being the first person to touch the ball at the beginning of play, having to get it back to the quarterback and successfully um, block. So I think I definitely took that as, you know, um, a challenging time mentally. Uh, for me just to stay on track and, you know, to push myself and, you know, not let it break me down and, you know, push past it and succeed from that. And and, and not just block, mind you, but usually blocking against the heaviest person on the defensive fo- side of your football, of your opponent's football team, more time than yeah. that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. It's definitely, I know it sounds as easy as it is. It sounds, you know, just throwing it back to the quarterback shouldn't be so hard, but and when, once you get out there and you can kind of, you know, get a feel for it and have to, you know, get off the ball, it's it's definitely a change of pace for sure. A um, couple more questions here before I let you go, Cole. Um, first of all, you know, th- another big change that took place while you were at UCF is the switch um, to uh, the Big 12 and Power 5 uh, conference play. Um, in your mind, what does that mean for the program? Oh, I think it means a, a whole lot. You know, there's there's a lot more. Um, you think about scheduling, you think a lot about a lot of different things uh, that can come with it. Um, but big, big, big thing is that we're starting to get recognition and we're starting to get attention. You know, it's some things that we wish we already had back in 2017, but you know, that's something kind of, we had to, you know, the AAC had to build upon, you know, to kind of get that recognition, you know, between us, like Cincinnati, you know, so it, it kind of takes time for that stuff. So I think, you know, these past, you know, four or five years have definitely been, you know, a big moment for UCF um, to be able to get his name out there and, you know, raise our level of um, attention, raise our level of competition. Yeah, I know that makes a ton of sense. And, and, and I mean, I know the fans are itching for it. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you remember some of uh, coach Frost's comments calling out the, uh, the program at large, uh, along with Danny White, um, about the uh, the disparity therein, it, it kind of felt like the program felt they had no other choice but to uh, join them since they couldn't beat the politics, so to speak. Um, and mm-hmm. say what you will about Cincinnati making it, you know, that I think was kind of an amazing anomaly in itself, cool as it was that it happened. So I'm definitely picking up what you're putting down. Um, mm-hmm. Last question, Cole, because at the end of the day, um, you had a lot of stories here talking about your tenacity coming into places and being able to pick things up right away. Um, certainly testament to uh, what you would bring to a team as a, a, a prospect or, or hopefully a pickup to a program um, in, in any football league or team. But 
if there's anything you feel like that you haven't had a chance to demonstrate, what what is one trait that you don't think you've had a chance to tell people about either in interviews or or or, or on a field with scouts or any of that that you could bring to a team as an asset? Yeah, I definitely think I could bring, you know, a different mindset than a lot of people have. You know, I can take the beating, I can take the coaching, I can take whatever's thrown at me and still understanding what my goal is and what my responsibility is because first and foremost, I'm a team player, you know, whatever my, whatever I'm told to do, whatever I need to get done is what I'm going to do. And, you know, I kind of reflect back on the story I spoke about, you know, scout team, you know, kind of taking things to heart, you know, and wanting to be able to prove myself that, you know, I'm a team player. I'm not here for myself. I'm not here for the honorable mention. You know, I'm in for the glory. I'm, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm proud to do. Yeah, no, throughout all your stories, you, you definitely pay attention to um, your foundation. And then it, it's funny, most I've had to ask you more directly questions about what you did after that point because, it, you know, it seems your perspective is, hey, you know, I dealt with this change or, or, or I figured out this lesson and then I was ready to, you know, go have fun and kind of mm-hmm. kick it. And, and I think that's an excellent approach um, to anything like that for sure. I mean, that's certainly worth being called out uh, 100%. So I could, like I said, I could do at least a full hour with you, man. You're an interesting cat. Um, <laughs> this is certainly not going to be our last conversation if I have anything to say about it. Yeah, no doubt, no but, doubt. <laughs> um, um, you know, uh, thanks again for talking to us, Cole, 100%. You know, best of luck on Thursday and beyond. Uh, if you're looking for Cole Schneider, he's on Twitter, at SchneiderCole14. 14, that's a bit of a low number for a lineman, isn't it? I... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's how old it was when I made it. Well, uh, no, okay, well, there you go. Uh, way, to, way, way, yeah. to, way to rub in that age gap, Cole. Thanks. I... <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, man, but um, listen, it was an absolute joy to have you on. Um, and uh, listen, I'll text you Thursday. You let me know how you did, all right? Yes, sir. Appreciate right. you having me. All right, thank you, everybody. Cole Snyder, everyone. Okay, and that'll do it for this segment of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. I am Kyle Nash, the student of the game. Thanks a ton. Um, We'll see what's up next. And uh, until next time, everyone, class dismissed. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thanks again to Kyle uh, for uh, and Cole Schneider for uh, joining uh, there, doing the show. They're a great interview there. And uh, we wish Cole the best here moving forward as they get ready uh, for the NFL draft in a few weeks in Vegas. All right, big news uh, this week, uh, Mr. Bryson Turner, who's back with us. We're both back. We took a segment off. We thank uh, Kyle for carrying the load there. Women's basketball. We got a new comings and goings. First, let's start with the coming. New head coach announced on Tuesday officially. It was reported on Sunday. It came out Sunday officially. UCF announced it on social media on Friday on Sunday night, and. Uh, they announced uh, they were introduced on Tuesday to the new head coach, Cynthia Messer, is the new UCF women's basketball head coach. She was the associate coach at LSU under Kim Mulkey, was a long time uh, with, has been with Mulkey going back to Baylor. Uh, has been a former head coach there at Tennessee Tech, played at Arkansas. You and Jeff were at the press conference on Tuesday. What was your takeaway? The entire press conference, by the way, is on the Black and Gold Better at YouTube channel, as well as Terry Mahajer's uh, Q&A with the media after that. So for all of that, it's a lengthy. Uh, check that out on our on our Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe so you can get those notifications. But you were there with Jeff. What was your big uh, takeaway? 
quick thing, make sure you hit the notification bell when you click subscribe to make sure you actually get the notifications. Anyway, so um, a couple of takeaways. Uh, One, uh, UCF's women's basketball's attendance is going to automatically go up because Satya Messer's family is so huge. Um, She's the youngest... She's the youngest of eight, and they actually managed to get a lot of her family out to the press conference. It was really great to see that. Uh, One thing that um, one part of the press conference I actually quite liked is how she went and directly addressed the players. She took a portion of it and directly addressed the players. And I think that considering the transfer portal stuff that we're going to get into in a minute, I think really speaking to the ones that have not yet left that are maybe a little undecided because obviously the ones that left, you know, have good reason to, but uh, speaking to them directly, I think is a great way to help build, to start building that trust with them and hope that will hopefully retain them. Now, as far as the hire itself, I think on paper, it's very good. The, um, we don't really have the have very um, hard uh, evidence in terms of uh, in terms of history, I guess, because she was an assistant for pretty much the majority of her career. So we're, the question really is: is what can she do now that she's a head coach? Again, she was a head coach at Tennessee Tech from 2009 to 2012. And for the decades since, she's been an assistant at Georgia Tech and LSU. But her main time during her main job during that time was an assistant to Kim Mulkey at Baylor building that program. And I think that time at Baylor, I think, is the, the, was the, a really big reason why Mohajer went with that hire because not only did she help recruit and that's the other thing is recruiting. She's really good with that. She built the help built that Baylor program that ended up becoming a big 12 power, but she is familiar with that conference. And that's the conference that we're going to be heading into and, we, and compete with Baylor as well. I mean, UCF versus Baylor in 2023, 2024 is going to be a very interesting matchup now. So I think on paper and um, you know, she also, Um, Messer talked about how she gained a lot of experience in that decade in Tennessee Tech. She said one of the biggest differences between then and now is the experience that she got recruiting and all that. So I think this is going to be a very big test for both UCF women's basketball as they get go into a new conference, as well as Coach Messer, who is now head coaching at a division one level. Obviously she's, uh, you know, she's worked under some, one of the best Kim, um, you know, coach Mulkey is part of the women's basketball hall of fame. She was inducted in 2020. So I, I think that this was a, it is a very good hire on paper. It helps him save some money as well, but I think that yeah, that's a good is, point. Let's bring that up. Let's, we let's just bring, need to see what we just need to see how she does. This is a very, yeah, much yeah. I, I, we don't know. It's a good textbook hire, like by the book. It's a good hire with you know the ties to the Big Twelve. Obviously, he's well respected. You know, been a part of a successful program at Baylor. I would kind of put you know push back a little bit about well, you know, she's a great recruiter. We don't know. Let's see how she. It's easy when you're an assistant to be a recruiter because the head coach closes the deal. Let's see what happens when you've got to close the deal and when you're not at Baylor that has all these resources that are not here at UCF. So, but I think it's a good, it's a good hire. It's a textbook hire. You bring up the finances. I think that's important. Jason Beatty, our good friend of the Orlando Sentinel reported that uh, I believe her salary will be at $625,000 a season, uh, which is slightly more than what coach Abe was making here. I personally believe this is just my opinion. Had Coach Abe stayed, if Georgia never opened and she was here, 
she probably would be making that money for next season based on the great year they just had. You see what I'm saying? So I feel like, and you know, I think she would have been making this this offer, this deal that Co- Messier Messer got. I think was was going to be Coach Abe's money had she stayed. As far as if there was no other jobs, if Georgia never existed, okay. Obviously, yeah. Georgia existed, but you're right. They saved money because Coach Abe was was would have had if to keep her away from Georgia. You would have had to pay over nine hundred thousand dollars to keep her a season. And there is, and not, and there are many that would argue that is not the best of investments right now, considering the 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 popularity of women's basketball is not the highest at this school. You mentioned that the family, the big family, will increase the the attendance. Some would joke it that would double the attendance, but uh, it is what it is. It's a thing where. I think it's a good hire. I think I think Terry handled this pretty well. I don't agree with the criticism that it took too long. Listen, the players that were going to transfer, we'll get to that. They were going to transfer, I think, regardless of who the head coach is. These players are loyal to their coach. And I just think that was unfair that people are saying that Terry took little. I think a week is usually actually pretty quick. Usually a process like this takes a week and a half to two weeks. So uh, I thought the process was good. I thought the hire is fine. Let's see what happens. I don't know. She's, you know, we'll see. She's got a good personality. That's going to help. Uh, we'll see what happens. They're good. But look, no matter what, people better accept this. Next year is a rebuilding year, period. Uh, okay. And part of that is because who's not here anymore. And let's transition to the transfer portal uh, because Diamond Battles made it official, announcing that she will be transferring to Georgia, as is Coach Abe's daughter uh, as well, Bryson. Savannah, yes. Yeah, yeah, no. I it's completely understandable. Um Diamond, you know, she's been she's been with Coach A for four years. That's where she wants to finish with. I completely get it. Uh, I'm going to cry a little on the inside, but I do get it. And uh then Savannah, I mean, it's her daughter. I mean, it was sort of a foregone conclusion when in the press conference they actually mentioned welcoming Savannah into the Georgia family in the in, in, in the introductory press release for Coach Abe at Georgia. So I think that was pretty much a foregone conclusion. And, you know, I think that you, that they definitely paid good money for her. Uh, we, I, um, both um, you and I put in an open records request for that. And we found out that Coach Abe, of course, was being paid $900,000 or 950000 uh, or yeah, $950,000. And then what's also interesting is that combined her assistance made $810,000 combined. That's all four of them. That's a lot, so, by the way, in women's basketball. That's a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they got so taken I, care of. They got taken care of, and rightfully so, by the way. Rightfully oh, yeah. so. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and Diamond, so. I think it's a great move for Diamond. I know some fans are mad, like, oh, why, you know, they're supposed to come for the school. That's nonsense. Guys, recruiting players always come for the coach. Yeah, the school's great, but they come for the coach. This is the new world we're in. Diamond Battles did everything she could here. She accomplished everything she could here. There is nothing else for her to do here to prove. Plus, I, I'm pretty sure she has her degree. Uh, if not, you know, already. There's nothing else for her to do here. Why not take the shot at Georgia? You get to play in the SEC. That's a cool experience. And it makes a lot of sense because if you're Coach Abe, you're trying to build that your culture at Georgia. Who better to bring in than a Diamond Battles that knows your culture, knows your system very well? I don't expect that to be the last former UCF player to go to Georgia. That's okay. Hey, it's funny, Bryson. We don't complain when Gus gets his former Auburn guys to come over here. 
So why is it okay oh. for that? And it's not okay for other schools to take our players. Oh yeah. Look, the transfer quarter giveth, but the transfer portal can taketh away. I say that we take all that like enthusiasm for keeping the players that, you know, that did really well. And we pour all the love on destiny Thomas because she, so far she has not uh, said that she is leaving, leaving yet. And of the players that stay, that stayed, or at least have stayed so far, destiny Thomas is the marquee name in that group. So I would say just pour all the all the support on Destiny right. uh, on Destiny Thomas. It's still ultimately her decision, but I think that Destiny Thomas is a still is a very good player for hopefully for Satya Messer to well, build so, around going into this. And, and you know what, Satya's got to build her own team. Got to build yeah. her own team. She's not going to be Coach Abe. Uh, there's going to be a transition. She's going to bring her players in, and they'll build the the building blocks. So you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, in women's basketball there, but that's the big news. Cynthia Messer, the new head coach at UCF women's basketball. Let's move on to other stories here real quick. Let's go around the kingdom here, Bryson. All right, you, I'm going to uh, – real quick, give me uh, some news, tennis and golf, real brief. A couple of notes there in track here. Around the kingdom, I'm going to give you – I'm going to give you the clock here, 60 seconds. Around the kingdom in 60 seconds with Bryson. Go, Bryson. All right. Men's tennis. They just beat number 58 ranked Tulane six to one, their first conference victory. Absolutely well done on the men's tennis part. The new rankings just came out and uh, and they have four doubles pairings. Trey Hildebrand, Bob Ravel, Leighton Cronhe, Cooper White. Almost all the combinations of those four players are ranked. Absolutely well done. If there's any success this men's tennis team is going to get, I think it's with individual doubles pairs. They have a big weekend coming up against Tulsa and Memphis, who are both ranked ahead of them. So keep an eye out for that. Congratulations to women's golf. They won. They finished first place as a team in the Brickyard Collegiate that was ended early due to rain. But that is a very good confidence booster for the conference championship, which is going to be in Pinehurst, North Carolina on April 17th. Congratulations to rowing, who had th- three boats, the varsity eight, the second varsity eight, and the ver- and the second varsity four win the grand finals at the Sunshine State Invite in Sarasota. Well done to them. They're coming back home to host Miami at Lake Pickett on April on April 15th. And also big congratulations to Charlotte Crook, who managed to break the tie that she had with the great Anne-Marie Blaney in the 1,500-meter run with her four-minute 20.11 second time at the Florida Relays, which also had its own weather issues. They um, She managed to finally break that tie and take the 1500 meter school record outdoor 1500 meter school record for herself so absolutely well done for charlotte the track team will be heading to miami this weekend oh just got it under the 60 second buzzer right there folks that was tight very tight uh we'll leave you with this couple last notes bob bowlsby stepping down as big 12 commissioner look for a new commissioner in the next 90 days i think this is good news for everybody involved because i think the big 12 needed new leadership they got a duty they got a tv deal they got to negotiate you can't have a guy that's accusing a network of trying to sabotage their league when you're negotiating a tv deal i think that's good they're uh meant they're expecting to have a new commissioner in place within the next 90 days so be on the lookout for that we'll kind of cover that more once they name the new commissioner there but i think that could get the ball rolling on the oklahoma texas negotiations there I personally believe UCF will still go to the Big 12 in the fall of 2023. I think everybody that's supposed to be where they need to be is going to be there by the fall of 2023. Everybody's waiting for that first domino to drop. I think this is the beginning of that. 
I think OU and Texas will reach a deal with the Big 12 with the new commissioner. And once that happens, I expect the American as well to reach a deal with UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. That's my prediction. We'll see if that happens. We'll cover that more at length down the road. And then massive news, Bryson, on the soccer front in college soccer. We've spent so much time about realignment in college football, college athletics. But there is currently a massive process of realignment in college soccer that is changing the landscape of men's soccer this week well, it was big news. Oh yes. For, yes. So we, um, so we already know that the Sun Belt had the ability to reinstate men's soccer once they managed to bring in all of, all of its new additions. However, because Marshall old dominion and Southern Miss Southern Miss doesn't have men's soccer, but they're involved in this as well. Um, they managed to reach a deal with conference USA to leave for the Sun Belt early which means that Sunbelt can the, the Sunbelt can now reinstate men's soccer right away, and they're going to do just that. But that is not all. They stole the Conference USA's affiliates, University of Kentucky, University of South Carolina, and and our and our our, our upcoming Big Twelve conference mate, West Virginia, who was going to join the conference usa this fall they're now going to go to the sunbelt to make a to make a men's soccer conference that i think can absolutely contend right away absolutely well done on the sunbelts on the sunbelts part to get that but the consequences of that eric is that it's leaving conference usa and the mac com, um, completely high and dry both teams now have four uh, have four schools in um for their conference for the fall of 2022 and you need six in order to be i believe ncaa championship eligible which means if you're less than six then basically you're done that's unbelievable it's an unbelievable story and the reason we're discussing this because this has an indirect effect potentially on the future of ucf men's soccer yes yes indeed it does so we're gonna um so as much as i sympathize with the mac teams that are left high and dry they don't really have anything listen, to, listen i've I'm argued with andrew that. and jeff on this uh, on this show if the mac went away to the fcs uh, i'm i'm okay with that let's, let's <laughs> yeah very true so, but we're focusing on the conference usa here so let's look at the teams that are that are left by this so you so you have three of these teams are already scheduled to join the american already which are charlotte fau and UAB, they are already slated to join the American as soon as 2023. Now, what will be very interesting to watch, Eric, is will the American be able to possibly take their men's soccer teams early? Because if Conference USA just completely shutters men's soccer, then can the American take those three teams early in fall 2023? for fall 2022 as affiliate members men's soccer members only that will be a very interesting sticking point however that leaves two teams that leaves two teams high and dry liberty who is scheduled to join the conference conference usa in 2023 they have a men's soccer team that now is going to a conference that will probably or a men's soccer conference that probably won't exist so they're probably going to be in the market for a new conference but that but they're but they're you know they're not uh, close to florida that that's their business what the biggest thing is florida international fiu they have they have a ranked men's soccer program i don't think they're gonna have they're gonna want to shutter shutter that so but but that means the florida international a full conference usa member is now being left high and dry and has to look for a new home and what's huge is it's in the state of florida that means that I would have, I would not be surprised if Scott Carr was getting on the phone to Terry Mohajer if he hasn't already done it. So and so I think that and Mike Oresco. 
Yes, indeed. We talk about how Oresco, you 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 talked, you asked Oresco about this. I asked Mike Oresco uh, yeah. back at the basketball tournament about the future of UCF soccer and other sports like Cincinnati lacrosse and things. And he said they were working on it. They like to keep them, but there's also affiliate things. And I think he kind of saw this coming with some of the massive changes that's going on in men's soccer. Uh, you're, this is uh, massive changes. And oh, yeah. Now the question is, where does FIU go to your point? If they were to join the American, let's say, you would have FIU, South Florida, FAU. It only make more sense for UCF to stay. You have four teams in the state of Florida. Financially, that is fantastic if you're UCF, less travel. Uh, and you're still in a strong league. But now there has been reports out of Marshall that they are going to try to recruit UCF to join the Sun Belt for men's soccer. So it seems like, in kind of cutting it short as we wrap up here, UCF options will be either they're going to stay in the American or likely join the Sun Belt. possibly. That might be the two options they have. I think they prefer to stay in the American, I think, but we'll see. It depends on the negotiations. Maybe we'll find out this summer. I think the good, I think the big takeaway, honestly, is that UCF is going to, I think UCF is going to be fine either way. I also think, by the way, that if uh, that wherever UCF goes, I think FIU is going to follow because uh, going to follow because I've, having that travel partner is going to be important regardless of conference. And I think UCF and FIU, if they both join the Sun Belt as affiliates, I think would make for a good uh, make for a good travel partners. But really, there's two sides to this: Do you either stay with the Florida teams or do you join your your new your new Big Twelve conference mate? Because West Virginia is in the Sun Belt. And, you know, there's two SEC teams there together. Might be worth it to have two Big 12 teams. So it, it, it really depends. But I think the biggest takeaway is that now that the Conference USA looks to be out of the question, at least as of this moment, UCF men's soccer is going to be fine. Both the American and the new Sun Belt yeah. look to be very great leagues. And I think regardless of either one, I think there will be a, there's going to be great matchups there. And I, men's soccer is going to be fine. We will be following that. I think this is going to be a busy summer uh, in a lot of ways for the future of UCF and uh, the conferences, alignments, and uh, all their sports. So it's going to be very interesting. We'll monitor that very closely here on the Black and Gold Banneret. All right, that's going to do it for this edition. Uh, I got a, I'm hosting, as we record this Thursday, I got ready to host the UCF fundraiser softball event Thursday night. Encourage you to check that out. Make sure you donate. It's the day of giving as well at UCF. Help support the, the UCF teams there. Uh, and sponsor and you know certainly support their great success great year another uh, in athletics uh thanks to cole schneider for joining us thanks for kyle nash for providing that interview uh wish him well with his family obviously as he's taking care of some family stuff uh, personal stuff so we'll have to hope to have him back next week to talk spring football uh we wish jeff well with his wisdom teeth although uh look it was a lot quieter of a show so that was a good thing uh, best of luck to Brian Murphy, our old buddy. Opening day baseball. It's one of his favorite days. So uh, I know he's in, he's at a very happy place right now. So good, uh, best to him. Bryson, thank you for uh, your contributions to the show. As always, sir, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much, Eric. I love talking with you guys as well. As well. It was just I love talking about UCF sports, and this is a great way to do that. Love doing it with you. That's Bryson Turner. I'm Eric Lopez. Uh, follow us. Like this. All on the social media, Black and Gold Banner, and of course, for all the latest in UCF. Have a great weekend, and until next time, this has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.